Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. I'm really excited to have an another episode ready to go for you. Um, today it's with ba Bavan Balamaheshwaran. We've got a great chat coming up around um, introducing product management in engineering firms. Firstly though, I'll give a shout out to Proud Mary Coffee as our location sponsor. Proud Mary is a speciality coffee roaster, cafe, coffee educator and retailer based here in Melbourne where I am today, but also placed, uh, based over in Portland, Oregon in the USA. I'm fortunate to be able to be part of the um, Proud Mary family, so a big thanks to all the Proud Mary coffee team here in Melbourne and in Portland, Oregon. To find out more about Proud Mary in Australia, visit proudmarycoffee.com.au or in America, proudmarycoffee.com or get down to the cafes in either location. It's a great way to learn about the Proud Mary story, experience the coffee, and if you want to try my favourite on the menu here in Collingwood, it's the potato hash. Definitely recommend that. Uh, welcome, Bavan. Great, great to have you here to, to chat through. We're going to be talking about introducing product management in an engineering firm, which is, which is going to be awesome. Do you mind just kicking us off with a little bit about your background and your career journey so far? Yeah, definitely. So thanks for having me on. But um, yeah, my journey kind of really was not the most normal kind of journey. It kind of, I kind of fell into kind of product management, you would like to say. So I kind of started off after studying like engineering, electrical engineering and, all, and computer systems. I obviously had like a big thing for products, technology and all that stuff. And then moving into the engineering consulting, uh, into an engineering consulting firm, I worked within the Digital Futures team, which is a really interesting team. We look and investigate new business models, business opportunities, and try and explore where we can take technology and how Oracle can grow. And a big part of that was to develop a lot of proof of concepts. So I started off as a bit of a project coordinator, juggling with different types of technology from IoT, open data platforms, and trying to figure out what are some of the normal core issues that we currently have within the industry and trying to see what solutions we can come out of it. Some, one of those solutions, Fieldforce, that I was working with, eventually grew beyond a proof of concept, came out to be a beta, and the solution started growing bigger and bigger and because it got a lot more traction. And from there, I became a product manager awesome. because the role kind of needed it. So it kind of fell into it, but it's a good, uh, it's a good direction that it kind of grew what my career should be like. Sounds like a natural fit to have fallen into as well yeah, from exactly, that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, before we get stuck into to the episode, we're, we're running a Melbourne theme, it's all Melbourne-based mm -hmm. people for the first seven episodes in 2019. Let's run through some Melbourne-based questions. Favourite tea or coffee joint in Melbourne? So my favourite uh, tea or coffee joint is Mocha Joe's in Glen Waverley down in my Glen area. Glen Waverley, right, yeah. okay, yeah. nice, nice. Uh, favourite CBD lunch venue? Oh, so that's uh, Max Hardware. It's on Hardware right. Lane, yeah. So it's a really nice Italian place that uh, I've gone to a couple of times, yeah. Awesome. Best tram route. And just for everyone, Bavan had to look this up before we started the recording. I just <laughs> want to call him out on that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. This is the only tram route that I, I ever <laughs> take, and that's the one that takes me from Southern Cross Station to my office. It's, uh, and it's route number? Route 11, yeah. Number 11. <laughs> there we go. Um Favourite product management meetup or conference that you enjoy? Uh, I really, uh, so uh, two years ago I went to leading leading the product and that was in Melbourne and that was really great. Uh, I got to network, meet up with a, a lot of different product managers, understand I think different concepts, which kind of grew me into that role that I was uh, eventually defined, right. defining myself as a product manager because I never understood it and from that it was a big, like a big stepping stone for me. 
fantastic. Well, it's good to hear the community's played a big part in that and helping you through that. Yeah, so I imagine it'd be quite daunting coming into. Yeah, into it. it was. It was definitely a, a bit of a challenge to understand. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, let's get going. Um, so today we're going to be talking about introducing product management in an engineering firm. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the type of engineering firm to, to give some context for the rest of the conversation? So Oricon's a, a global engineering consulting firm. We service multiple industries from aviation to asset advisory to infrastructure, big road projects. A big one that we're working on uh, right now in Melbourne will be the Westgate Tunnel. Project. So there are projects that we work uh, around the globe and we service different challenges that our clients may have. And so, yeah, so from Oricon's perspective, there is a huge amount of opportunity for where we kind of try and look to servicing our clients on an engineering scale, yeah. You mentioned in your intro there a little bit around de- developing a, a product and, and growing a product within an engineering firm. Could, could you talk us a little bit about that journey and some of the challenges you've faced along the way? Yeah, so I think one, uh, a bit more interesting about the journey within an, inge- uh, an engineering firm is more the fact that uh, software solutions, products and all, all, there weren't no defined processes. Uh, originally, and this is because uh, when as challenges uh, arose, we kind of tried to surface it with uh, software solutions. Eventually, when the solution started building a business, did we become starting to see it as a bit of a product, a service that we were trying to offer alongside our current services that we do around consulting. And that kind of journey was really challenging because this is a service that wasn't directly servicing one problem as engineers and especially with an engineering firm we're all problem solvers and that's yep. a huge challenge that uh, anybody uh, has to work with engineers is that they're all looking at the problem and they're also looking at the solution and they're not really diving too deeply into the problem but they're looking at how the solution can better f- benefit the client and everyone in as a, uh, as in the broad so as problem solvers there are a lot more problems and solutions, and we're, we're always diving into it. So when we come up with a solution that could service uh, many problems and conceptualize it as a product, a lot of people had a difficulty saying, can this solution really solve my problem? Right, okay. Even though the uh, product itself was trying to c- encompass as many uh, solutions as possible. Okay. It sounds like quite a, a mindset shift. Yeah, it is. And I think definitely I think there's been a huge growth in the company itself, identifying that uh, we do have the opportunity to collaborate a lot more with the types of problems that we're finding on site or in our projects and bringing them together into a really nice encompassed solution. And that itself is a huge, I think, growth. So some of the challenges I think you would see when we have these kinds of solutions is that each discipline has their own types of processes. They all meet those different requirements. And those problems are all unique to the, that discipline. So how do you build a solution or bring the right uh, kind of people together to kind of develop that uh, answer to that problem? Because each problem is unique. A mechanical engineer will have his problem with his hydraulic solution or a- AC solution. And then... Uh, a civil engineer or a structural engineer may have a, a problem with uh, another solu- a problem and then yeah. the advisory team will have another one. So each one, even though it's a problem and they all share, I think, a common a common, uh, a common, area, which is mm. maybe the project and the client. 
Right. How do you kind of build that uh, problem into one nice okay. kind of question thing? Yep. This is your problem, this is your solution. So you've got many personas that you're trying to create satisfaction for, create value for. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, you, you mentioned around uh, a, a problem and then a solution or numerous problems, single solution, and growing that product, uh, growing it into a product. I know in, in your space um, you've got regulation around the AEC body. Do you mind just sharing with the audience who they are? So the AEC is just a, it's a general description of what the industry that we uh, that engineering consultants have to work in, which is the architecture, engineering, and construction industry itself. Right. And those uh, and that industry itself has different ways of uh, different people. There's so many different personas, as we were saying before. And within those personas itself... Uh, there are a lot of regulations that are brought f- uh, forward actually by governing bodies, such as uh, local governments, state governments. You have within there like transport bodies. And then even within the private sector, there are different companies that govern certain elements, like Telstra would govern certain telecom elements. And those challenges, how they l- operate and what they kind of do changes. So a challenge that we normally, uh, we're right now we're facing in Asia is around BIM. So BIM is right. building information management systems. And uh, some of our products are now needing to have to operate in accordance with some of those changes in uh, those markets. And these uh, these changes are all brought forward by government. So how do you shift a product, I guess, to encompass a new uh, kind of set of regulations but still s- uh, solve the same problem that the solution was originally designed for? Yep. Or how do you transition it to the new problem? So that the old problem doesn't come up again. Yep. So it's a it's a juggling act of where you're trying to say, governments <laughs> and regulating bodies have brought forward these kind of solutions to how to regulate certain aspects of the industry, but then the software kind of need to kind of also help benefit the users that you've designed them for, while also meeting the requirements of them. Okay. Thank you. Th- I know regulation is often put in as a solution to a problem um, such as someone's abused something so regulatory or bureaucracy starts to creep in Mm -hmm. um, and is seen in itself as a solution Uh, what I'm hearing there is sometimes that's not the case it's it's regulation that's there to protect but you've still got to deliver on your value proposition from a from a product perspective Um, you mentioned about Asia and obviously you're based here in Australia can you tell me about just personally how do you manage a, a a global product that transcends borders and I'm assuming regulation may be different between the countries or continents? Yeah, so this is like, uh, I think a a huge important part is collaboration. Sometimes you can't always be there and you can't always investigate and you can't always interact. So a huge thing that I normally do with my team and a big thing that I try and achieve is I try and rally out to people to also investigate themselves and empower them to also understand how their market, their area of expertise could be impacted by the changes that the product may need to have have to do to meet those changes. So because I'm not uh, qualified to be advising on uh, structural engineering or I c- right. I'm not very qualified to advise on facades or any yeah. other elements, how would an engineering product that is supposed to be designed to service all different departments and industries, uh, how do you main- make sure you maintain that? So this is... Uh, huge aspect I think goes down to the core of any sort of collaboration is also partnering up with people saying hey 
I have this uh, solution and obviously I see there's a problem or change that's happening in your work. How does this impact me and how can I help you? And kind of create that two-way communication where you go, you have a voice in how this product also changes and right. and because you're a, a actual set user group and try and understand that this person and the person that you're trying to connect with is actually also a very special person. It's kind of an extension of yourself and for you it's he's the core of your service but not the core of the product. So that's where you, it gets very uh, challenging to manage the user persona but also manage the business opportunity at the same time. So you may have the user persona as a guy who's going out to site to capture information but then the service and opportunity that he's providing is providing to understand the changes in facade dynamics or something. Right. And it's two different aspects, but his uh, business requirements shouldn't necessarily affect how the user should feel or experience when using the product, but more should empower how that service kind of extends in a generalistic way as a product should be. Okay. You mentioned many different types of personas and managing those. How do you um, – can you talk, talk to me about the strategies you use to bring the right people along to, to validate um, the design of your product? So definitely stakeholder management and trying to engage the right people is a huge importance. And so managing those personas, I definitely uh, definitely depend on my extended team, the, from the comms uh, team to the – right down to the actual technical directors and the, the digital leaders that are in the – each of the regions that kind of empower Oricon's kind of digital methodologies. Okay. And they kind of surface these emerging trends and people. And from there, I, I kind of write up personas describing certain relevant uh, aspects of those uh, people or even based on a certain uh, opportunity. But from that, I kind of understand how does it connect to the business and then from there, how does the business uh, would use my product. Right. And then try and create that bit of a, a flow diagram and try and connect it. So... Uh, managing those types of personas is really challenging, but it's always important to kind of update and make sure that you're well aware that if a business uh, opportunity changes, the persona may change that's connected to it because the person may need to change the way they work. And then that's also changing the experience they may have with the product. Okay. And this is us, then that continuous loop? Yeah, continuous feedback. Right. It's really challenging, ideally trying to maintain the uh, business engagements, especially with the leaders and everyone, because as they're engaging their clients to solve their problems, they'll find problems with your product, right. which you need to kind of understand because they're trying to solve a problem from their client and it's a bit of a chain flow effect back to you. This uh, this leads into backlog management. Um, and I'm, I'm keen to understand h- how do you, especially with crossing borders, w- from a software perspective and the needs of different different territories and regulation, uh, how do you prioritise um, that? What types of models or tools do you use to make prioritisation decisions in your backlog? So it's I think it's a really challenging thing with like such an ever-changing industry where people bring in new technology, research pr- uh, comes in or government regulations come in, that may impact a whole feature and the backlog itself. Right. So uh, the way that I try and group them into is I, I group my backlog into several different ways one uh, one way I tag them as per the industry that they uh, op- uh, that they the major impact is going to be and because when I look at major impact if I change it or I adjust it they're the most likely 
businesses that are going to be affected okay. by that change. And so bringing that, looking at that black bog and trying to adjust it is always challenging. But then I think prioritizing is definitely looking at, at the current situation. What's the biggest value could you provide to the, uh, to the largest user demographic right now? Because it's, I think the thing you're going to always find with uh, huge, uh, an organization like an engineering consulting firm, there's always so many problems that we can solve. There's so many innovative ideas out there. And to regulate your features so that your product doesn't become like an all-encompassing jack-of-all-trades, but still keeps its core function and core vision according to your North Star, what you kind of uh, start to do is very much, you start to prioritize on the mo most impactful at that very moment. If you're starting to see a trend in telco, because all the telco industries are going to 5G, for instance, that's right. a, a current uh, thing that we're having to make a decision about now. All the functionality that may benefit telco starts to become more of a priority because their industry changes will eventually make your product out of date right. and out of, out of service because you have to kind of adaptively understand the kind of changes they're making and then bring them into the product. So all of a sudden that priori uh, priority kind of just shifts up the scale because it creates a huge impact and opportunity that you may have. But that doesn't mean that we can't prioritize some of the things that we've forgotten in the past or we've, uh, we've kind of let go because we didn't see it as a major user experience issue. Right. Okay. You've, you've talked about many personas, um, many different um, variations across borders uh, and regulations. And there's a lot of variables there. Could you, could you talk to me about how you manage your development team, the engineering team, and how you sh keep that North Star shining bright, irrespective of all of this variable and unpredictable change? So I, I, I try and split them the way I engage my team in several ways. So we obviously have eight-week development cycles where we have a right. feature. We go through the backlog and identify the different features for that select user group or the select group of people that we're going to try and help with their product because their business is changing. Okay. And uh, those eight-week cycles, I normally engage when uh, at a period of time when we need to make those decisions, I start those cycles. But every month I do give uh, monthly updates on the business trends. So I, I start to, I think, buying into your, uh, having your dev team buy into what you're trying to grow so they don't feel like it's ad hoc is a big challenge because in an cha industry that's changing, uh, having them to buy into the process of saying, okay, we're shifting our focus now to defense, or we're shifting our focus to telco. They would like to know why, because they go, oh, why am I now going back on this feature that we fixed up three weeks ago? I'm like, well, the business has actually changed now. The telco industry has ident identified a new regulation. We have to kind of shift accordingly. We have to audit a bit more. We have to do different elements. So adaptively shifting those kind of products to identify those things kind of you give those updates during those monthly updates yeah. because as they change you can say Asia's doing this right now Australia's doing this New Zealand's doing this Africa's doing this Middle East is doing this so uh, actively kind of just going and showing the team these are the kinds of changes that are ha happening and emerging in our industry we've identified that telco will be our next focus area this is what they're currently experiencing this is what they want to experience trying to figure out, I think, the current and future state uh, where it is. And then from there, we kind of identify the features from the backlog. And if there's new features, then we introduce them at that point. And we go, all right, these are the uh, features, these are the epics, these are the themes. 
this is who they're going to impact. We may want to bring in this stakeholders because it's also impacting them. So, for example, a telco feature may impact the asset management team. Okay. You may need to bring them into the whole process and bring them in saying, hey, this is something that's happening in the telco, but it's also going to benefit you. We're going to re- revamp this uh, component. Maybe it is the sign-off for the image function. At the end, we want to revamp it to solve uh, the problem of telco, but we want to also consider you as the user group that's impacted by this feature. I love the collaboration and co-creation yeah. style that you're adopting there. Uh, in your instance, is your engineering team onshore? Uh, are they distributed in the in the countries that you're so operating in? So uh, they are. Uh, they're on. Uh, they're actually in Melbourne. So right. that's a, that's a benefit that I have is that I've got a close relationship with them and that. Uh, through my uh, through my uh, engagements, they can actually experience the full business, and then right. from there, understanding that some of the changes they may produ- uh, predictively actually advise me, saying, "Hey, just to let you know, our reporting function hasn't been updated, and this is going to impact it. You may not realize, but in a couple of months, I think uh, Telco may have a problem with their reporting. So we've got to go back and say, "All right, we've got to quickly bring this up the backlog." So I really appreciate. I think the the dual feedback. Um, approach and that's why I, I do it with uh, even engagement with service line leaders and my de- dev team it's always a two-way approach that uh, not always it's a, a trickle down yep. sometimes problems or solutions that sometimes are overlook could be brought up and that's where the benefit I think working in engineering from where everyone's a problem solver there is a hundred solutions and sometimes you just overlook it and it's a yep. huge opportunity to kind of always understand the solution that you, you could potentially be doing. Great. Obviously, the benefit of having onshore team around you, um, you've just talked about, one of the um, downsides to that can obviously be empathy for, for instance, foreign markets. And I know you've just travelled this week um, to, to build up empathy in, in of your Asian customers. Could, could you talk to me a little bit ha- about how you bring that back to the office and share that with the engineering team and help create that empathy even though they wasn't able to experience it firsthand? Yeah, so there's uh, two ways. So normally when I go to, to a region or an office, especially a lot of, there's so many offices, so it's very hard to kind of get yourself out there and kind of be amongst everyone. But to understand that kind of thing, you, you build a bit of a network, connect with a few. And then I also try and bring in, uh, my, uh, bring in the users into the, some Skype meetings with the product team just so that they can actually hear it first, firsthand when I talk to them, hey, this is an issue that they're having. So I think a, a big example was um, a whole uh, new industry, new way of uh, capturing data was around asset management. And it was all about mobile uh, assets. How do you capture stuff that's mobile? For a long time, the product was designed for static assets. Right. But there's an industry change where clients are wanting us to also anticipately monitor sta- uh, assets that also move around from one location to another location because... Uh, in the industry's change where they want to uh, make sure that they're more efficient, more sustainable, so they share the same asset across right. different uh, uh, different offices, different sites. They don't buy the same thing for everywhere. So how do we account as something that's now mobile while also still servicing the static? And the team never understood this. Like, oh, it's not a really big deal. Like, static assets, it's just taking a... Like, when they think about it, when the engineering was thinking about it, they were like, oh, it's really just... Uh, a data point at a location that's the metadata that's it we just need to map that same location to metadata i'm like but the experience is different 
because the guy who's going on site doesn't actually know where it is. Mm-hmm. He has to do a bit of a where's Wally. And they never understood until the guy talked him through about his process. Brilliant. And then it was it was mind boggling. They were like, Okay, this is just changes the whole product. I'm like, No, it doesn't really, but it just means that we have to understand that the elements that we have to design now also have to uh, account for the fact that uh, uh, this whole tower could be picked up and moved to another place. And we we just need to know how do we communicate that back to them? Do we send a notification? So I think that brainstorming session that we had after that event where we started understanding this is the problem and I invited guests over to talk to us and uh, and learn so that it is that it's a bit of an open communication because once... Uh, the engineering team understood that. They started exploring actually how we can further technology instead of trying to just change the user experience. Right. Because uh, a lot of, I think there was a lot of pressure early on when we were trying to adopt, adaptively try and grow the, uh, grow the product with the designs. We were just trying to feed as much designs to the engineering team. The engineering team were just trying to build into it and they never understood that. Maybe it comes to a point where the design can't do it anymore and we have to bring in new technology. And with the team, engineering, always investigating new ways of bringing certain solutions to life, it was a huge, I think, a growth opportunity for them to say, oh, actually, we don't need to design a new setting or anything. We just need to just change the back end. And no one will realise that we've started recording stuff and showing things in a different right. way. Yeah. I do love being in a room when the penny drops on moments like that. And yeah. everyone goes, oh, right, okay. And in this instance, it's it's great from a collaboration style that you've, you've identified new opportunities um, from what seemed like an easy, known problem, known solution mm. can, is then, oh, right, there are more problems for us to explore in this and for, for the better of the product and the value you create. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a great value, I think, that two-way street. Like I, I think that's maybe the core. I think that I think if a good product team can also appreciate some of the other departments' work, then they understand how to surface certain things to the right t- uh, people for the right thing. Without that, there's it's just a, a very slow, slow uh, waterfall kind of effect where, all right, how, here, take a look at that, and they go, I don't know why you're doing this. Go back to it, and it'll be like a chain of emails for no reason. Yeah, and that's when things do get complicated. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting through the world of engineering with you, Evan. Um, this, this has been great. You had fun? Yeah, no, it was really great. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure. It's great to hear your story. Great to hear um, how you've transcended borders. I love the collaboration and the co-creation you've talked through in in the world of engineering and bringing product management mindset to that. So thank you very much. Thank you also to Proud Mary as our location sponsor and for the coffee this morning. Hope everyone's enjoyed this episode of the Product Coalition. Look forward to sharing another episode with you very shortly. Thanks, Bowen. <laughs>